Father, we thank you again for this morning. And as we open up your word, we know we need you, Holy Spirit, to use your word to speak to our hearts today, to mold us, to shape us, to change us, to speak to us in an individual way, Lord, to know that without a question in our minds that you're here, the fact that you love us, that you care for us, and that you want to intercede in a way that ministers to us in our hearts, Lord. We deal with a lot of things in our lives. Many things that people may know, but many things that people don't know. It's going on in our hearts, deep within our minds, the inner man, the inner woman. And only but you do. <laughs> and you do, and you, and you have a way of just reaching in and touching that aspect of our life. Use your word, empowered by your Holy Spirit to do that work. In Jesus' name, amen. First John, chapter 3. And let me just actually start with verse 13, so it brings the continuous of the context, and it will take us right to the end of 3. John writing to believers. Understand who is the author and who is he speaking to, and he's writing this letter to believers. Do not marvel, my brethren. Let me just pause here just for a minute. Do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know, by this we know love. Because he, Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this, these world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children... Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our hearts condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his command, that we should believe on, this, on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandment, abides in him, and he in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given. As we look at the, the scripture today, let me start off by letting you know this morning 
what is my favorite verse for this day? And that is, be still and know that I am God. Psalm 46.10. If you're willing to be still with God, you will know God. And you'll not only know God, but you'll know if the love that God has for you personally. But many times we will not be still to listen to God's voice, to speak to our hearts, to minister to us. We're too busy. We're always go, go, go. Very distracted. Got things to do, you know. Got places to go. I got a bucket that must be filled with things I have to accomplish and check off. But let that, one of the items in that bucket be, be still and know that I am God. Let that be in your bucket every day. The last time we saw in the scripture here, and we took it at the very end of that scripture that we took last week, that we saw there was a distinct contrast between a child of God and a child of the devil. We saw a broad contrast between hatred and the true character of Christian love, that is real love. The test of this real love is not simply to, to do no evil to others, even that is true, but real love also involves doing them good. Christian real love is both positive and negative. Isaiah 1, verses at the end of verse 16 and the beginning of verse 17, it says, cease to do evil, Learn to do good. I, you can memorize that scripture. You can meditate on those scriptures. It's not complex. Cease to do evil and learn to do good. Now we are going to learn what love is and how we should love one another here in the scriptures today. We see that in 1 John 3, 16, it says right here, By this we know love. How? Why? Because he, Jesus Christ, laid down his life for us. That's how we know why. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. How do you know you're a born-again believer, a child of God and not a child of the devil? You can't help but help other people. To think about other people. To desire to help other people. Why? Because God loves you. And he has saved your life. He has forgiven of all your sins. You have eternal hope and a promise and a future. That's all laid out for us. We have, that is settled. That is solidified as absolute truth as a child of God. Because he's shown you so much love, his love then pours from your life into the lives of those around you who could be completely a complete stranger or a family member or a neighbor. But one of the things you need to stay with as we're reading the scripture is by this we know love. Well, the question is, there's a lot of confusion in the, the word love. In the Greek, there are four different words for the, the word love in the English language. We have, we see biblical in the Greek, the original Greek language in the New Testament. The first word that we see is eros. It's one of those words for love and it describes the erotic or sexual love. 
Then you have storge, was the second word of love, and it refers to a family love. The kind of love that goes between a parent and a child or between family members in general. There's a storge in your, in your family. The third one is philia. Not Philadelphia. But yes, the brotherly love city, isn't it? Not really. But philia, it's the third word. It speaks of the brotherly love, the friendship, the affection between two brothers or two sisters. It is the love of deep friendship and partnership. And philia love might be described as the highest love one is capable of giving without God's help. And then there's the agape love. That unconditional love, that Fourth love that is described in the Greek, and it describes a love that loves without changing. God's agape love is unmerited and gracious and constantly seeking the benefit of the ones he loves. He's always looking by to love the people purposely, not passively, but actively wanting to love. It is a self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting anything in return. You freely give. Unconditional. It is a love so great that it can be given to the most unlovable and unappealing people, but you're still able, by God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, still able to show and give love. It's a love that loves even when it is rejected. There's a deep love through the power of the Spirit of God that you're able to love someone even though they reject you of who you are at the core of you. This is the agape love that we all want to have in our lives. That God expects us to have that same type of life because we want to be more like Christ. We want to be more like our Savior. And that's the agape love that he poured out. This is what we know and understand what love is. Because he, Jesus Christ, laid down his life for you when you rejected him. When you rejected him, it had nothing to do with Jesus. He still showed the agape love by going to the cross to die for your sins, to make a way for you to be set free from bondage of that sin. Tremendous love. It's, it's not any like any other love. That's why by this we know love, John says. Because he laid down his life. The real love isn't merely just felt. It's not just about feelings. It's not this inward, ooh, goosebump moment, I must be in love. That's probably your eros, the erotic, sexual love that you have. Yes, it could be storge, it's just this family love that you do. Oh, family, I love getting with family. Oh, there's nothing like having family together for the holidays. Oh, it could be a brother you've gone through war with, and it's, just, it's an affiliate-like love deep, bondage that you can't even you can't explain it 
the love of philia between two brothers and two sisters in Christ. But my brothers and sisters, we want to get to the agape love. The unconditional love. The one that's empowered by God to touch the lives around you with his love. Real love. Not the facade love. Not let's act loving because it's the right thing to do in this situation even though I really don't really want to be around them. No, no, we want the agape love. The real love isn't, again, it's not about feelings. It's the ultimate demonstration that we have seen in the life of Jesus there giving his life on the cross. Paul speaks of it in Romans 5.8, but God demonstrated his own love toward us that in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It isn't the death of Jesus itself that is the ultimate demonstration of real love. It is the death of Jesus together with what, he, what, do, what it does for us. The outcome of that love. He went to the cross and the outcome is he made a way for us to be saved. To have forgiveness. That is real love. And that's why John says here, by this we know love. How do we know it? Because our standard, our, our, our focus, our, our, our plumb line, our, 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 what is solid and, and, and steady and consistent is Jesus' love. That's why we measure everything based off of Jesus. Not your feelings. Not what the world offers. Not what your spouse did or did not do. Why their kids are not loving you, mom? I'm sorry, but they're going through a bunch of feelings these days. <laughs> we call hormones. You just keep pointing them back, my brothers and sister. Point your children back to Jesus. That's the stable that they need to hold on to. By this we know. There's a real sense in which we would not know what real love is and what it's all about. If we did not have the work of Jesus on the cross, we would not understand real love. That unconditional love. And so he says there, and we also, it's a key words, and we also. That means we can learn these things. We can experience these, this type of real love. Since we are sent with the same mandate that Jesus was sent by his Father, we must demonstrate our love by laying down our lives for the brethren. Jesus' words in John 20, verse 21. As the Father sent me, I also send you. So John, in his book of the Gospel, John is now writing in this other epistle saying, wait, 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 you want to become more like Christ? You want to do? You're being sent out to do exactly that I was sent out to do, and that is to love. Not to hate. Hate is not a characteristic of a godly a person. 
A child of God. That hate is not of a sign of a child, a child of God. It's a child of the devil. We just learned that last week. But the agape love, the, God, the love that God pours through a person who is a believer, a child of God, that's the love that we need to grow. That is what our commandment is. That is what we're to drive to. Which means we have to die ourselves. We have to lay down our lives for that other person to be able to do that. And that's hard. Dying of self is not easy. But we're commanded to do that. Lay down our lives. <laughs> so John reminds us of real love. It's not talk. It's actually demonstration. And it often leads to sacrifice of your life to show that love. Sacrifice. Lay down of our lives for others. Wishing to be more loving won't do it. I want to be more loving. 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 They told me I had to be more loving. I had to be... No, no, no. Because it won't sacrifice, if you won't sacrifice, you're not going to get to the level of understanding of what God is asking us to do. You have to freely sacrifice your life to show love for another. It's like a mother to a child. The sacrifices that a mother, motherhood is asked to do when you have a child. But they freely do it. They desire as a mother to sacrifice for their children. It's probably the closest of sacrificial love that can be really pointed out so clearly and consistently in many women's lives. And, and men as well. Men will sacrifice, will die for their family. Without a question. Without a doubt, because the love is so deep. But that goes beyond in the agape is not only would you die, would you actually go through the, the drudgery of raising children in love? Yeah, but if, if someone came in and tried to threaten my wife and my children, I'd take their head off, I'd kill them. So many men will say that. And I believe them. But men, will you love them just as much when they're not listening to you and nagging you and asking and pulling and not showing love to you when you got back after a 12-hour day shift of work? Will you still show them unconditional love? You can't do it apart from the Holy Spirit. You can't do it walking in the flesh. You can only do it if you're walking in the Spirit. Moms, after a long day taking care of the babies, kids, driving you crazy. Can you still love them unconditionally when they don't show you the love back or respect or love or kindness? or They think they're doing it all on purpose to try to put, take you to your grave early and you know, all those little things. See, you need the Holy Spirit to empower you to still show that unconditional love for your children 
even when they don't cooperate, like going to bed on time or sleeping. See, we often consider ourselves ready to lay down our lives in one great, dramatic, heroic gesture. Yes, I will go and die for my family. But I find that's not the norm. What I find is that God calls us to lay down our lives piece by piece, little by little, in small increments, and it's the most important ways of doing that every single day. That we die piece by piece, little by little, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. See, John is telling us to do the same thing that we see in Philippians in chapter 2, verses 3 through 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. That's what God's called us to do. Thinking of others and not of yourself only. That's why he says in verse 17, it's about action and in truth here. He says, but whoever, that means whoever, that means referring to all of us here, has these world's goods, you got stuff, and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, that's, this is John, he's, you know, he's, he's an old man now. He's speaking to all the younger people in his congregation, the ones reading this letter and us today. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. John is saying, John will not allow us merely to just talk about love. But real love is demonstrated in action. Yes, it can be evident in our feelings, but the feelings and the action should line up to be truth and in action to truly say that you're a loving, a God-loving person who was, wants to give sacrificial to help someone, especially in the practical. You've got stuff. We all have stuff. You all, you have a bank account, you have, you have food in the, on your pantries, you, you have a cars or cars, you have, you got stuff. And only by the grace of God that you do have those things. Because he provided all those things. And here, the practical thing, your brother's in need, you don't, you're just sitting there and you're listening and you go, I hear that brother has a need, he's really hurting. Because he doesn't have the stuff. He doesn't have the food on the... He just lost his house. It burned up. He has need. They just got in a car accident. They wiped out. They have no car. They have no means to get around. They have need. They don't have a job. They lost their job. They can't even get the clothes to put the clothes on their kids who are growing up. It seems like every two or three inches they're in growth every day. Outgoing, outgrowing their clothes and they have nothing to be able to get it and they just can't even get there to go get any clothes from any place. 
And you hear these things in the time of fellowship and God brings your ear to hear the need and then you shut your heart up against all of that and said, well, I'll be praying for them. I hope they get... I, and God all along is telling you, I have given you more than you need. You have the means to give to those in need. I'm talking to you. He says... If you shut your heart to him, how does the love of, of God abide in you? How can you sit there and say, I have the love of God in me when I am sitting there, oh, I'm planning my huge vacation and buying my next 10 homes. How can I give someone who has needs food when I got plans? Let me be very calm and very gentle with you if that's you. God may have given you 10 house, rental houses. He can also take those 10 rental houses away from you very quickly. He's giving you two or three cars. He can quickly take away two or three cars to get your attention. That it is about him and what he wants to do through you. Because the scripture says, if you're faithful to the small things, he'll give you, increase that ability, not for yourself but to give out to those in the fellowship of those who are in need to show godly love, to sacrifice for the godly love for others who are in need. And that's not easy. You've heard me said, people don't tithe gifts or offerings to the church because they have a greed problem. That's the hardest thing to give for people is to touch their bank account. And, and you get to freely give. You don't even need to be asked to give because it's between you and the Lord. And as you mature and grow, not just in word, knowledge and intellect, but practicality, you will show that love for God and the work that God is doing. Just like this practical thing. You have the world's goods, but you have a brother and sister in need. He reveals it to you, and then you sit there and say, I'm not going to give that. Mm -mm. They probably mismanage it anyway. I worked hard for all this. They have to go out and get a job. Oh, my brother sister. Can you take that to the Lord today? Can you take those thoughts to the Lord today and really repent and settle that right with the Lord? Because you're not right. But, 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 but pastor, but where's the limit though? Everyone needs something. I won't have anything if I just constantly give out to everyone in need and always looking. Understand that. So what is the limit of that kind of love? The boundaries. What are the boundaries? You Come on, help me with this here. The only limit is the one that love itself imposes on you. When giving to a person, if meeting his perceived and immediate need doesn't harm him in some way, but is only good for you to do that, then you could do it. But if it's going to harm them by doing what you're about to do, you don't do it. 
then the loving thing to do is not to give him or her what he or she asks, but instead give him or her what he needs. We get calls all the time here at the church. Or passive. And some people just want cash. I lovingly don't give cash. If you're telling me your heat is going off, I'll be the first one to call the national grid and we will pay for that. You don't have gas to get to your next job, so to get your next paid job? I'll get you the, uh, let's go get gas. You hungry? I'll, I'll get you food. We have a pantry with some food. We have other things of food. Or if I see you on the streets and I say, let's go inside, I'll buy you something. No, 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 just give me the cash. You're not going to give me no cash. Because I don't do drugs. And I don't know how anyone else do drugs. And I don't help you drink unless it's water with lemon. I won't even buy you sugar water. Because I know how bad that is for your body but I'll get you water with lemon. <laughs> and of course, coffee. Okay, I'll confess. <laughs> you know me too well. But only good coffee. Uh, don't ask me to go to some places around here for coffee. Only <laughs> I should get back on track here. Real love means loving in deed and in truth. We can substitute talk for love. You can talk it all you want. But talking about meeting people's needs instead of actually meeting them is a difference. It's very easy to talk about love. Even John says, don't talk about it, do it. But I find there's three conditions when it comes to this. And that we, I want you to kind of settle with this. If I'm going to help my brother, there are three things I need to ask myself. I must have these three conditions. First is, I must have the means necessary to meet his need. I can't promise a brother I'm going to help you when I have no means of, of, of helping that brother. I don't have the goods. I don't have the ability to do that. The second condition is, I must know that the need exists. I'm going to validate before I give you money that your national grid is in jeopardy of going off. I'm going to, I'm going to look at, I'm going to, I'm going to ask a few questions. I just don't freely give out the money that God has given me. I'm going to ask, what, what, what is it, truly, what is your need and how can I help you more than do it? I'm going to teach you how to fish, not just give you the fish, right? And then third condition is, I must be loving enough to want to freely share. Very important. Because if you give away and you don't freely give that, you become bitter and angry toward those people. Don't want that. You must freely be able to give and not look for anything in return. I promise, I'll pay you back. Brothers, I love you. 
I want you to get right there. Keep showing up at church. I want to sit down and help you. I can get you in front of some really, really smart people that can help you and guide you on some of the other details and financial planning and other things. I want you to help you because I know God wants you to be honoring him through this ways and means. I know. And then you never see them again. But that's between them and the Lord. I freely have given. Are you with me? But do you want to freely give what God has given you much? Are you willing to take the time to help them? And again, if you ask me to build something, I probably could not help you in the building of things. I have very few tools. But I know my brothers, and I know a ministry called the Father's Builders, and I just need to find the guys who are really smart and really good, and they can help you. It's so important, my brothers and sisters, that we understand what John is trying to tell us as the readers. You must get outside of yourself and understand that God wants to work through your life to touch others in need. That is a sign of a godly person, someone who is born again. Now we see three blessings that come from this. Look at verse 19. 19 through 21 here. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts or conscience, the inner man, the inner woman, before him. For if our heart condemns us, if our conscience condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. He's omniscient. He knows all things. He knows your heart. Verse 21, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. So the first blessing that comes from this this, this this love in action and in truth will bring assurance in your life of the fact that you're a child of God and that you're willing to do what God has called you to do. There's an assurance. You know you're saved by these things because it's not natural to give away things to other people, especially to strangers, maybe even to an enemy. That is not natural for you. It goes completely against your flesh. And if you do do it, there's always something. If you're in the flesh, there's always interest. There's always something or a hook that you're going to use it against them the rest of their life. No, no. You're supposed to be freely give. You can't sit there and say, you know I helped you in your life when you were at the desperate and, and I gave you money and I know it's been 10 years, but you still owe me, buddy. Oh, don't do that. That's not unconditional agape love. That is conditional love. Be very, ooh, be careful of those things. You freely give. 
But when you do this freely and lovingly and, and you want to do it, not because you have to do it, but because you want to do it, it's God working through you, you will know that you are in the truth. You know you're a believer. You're a child of God. You know you have a shall assurance of our hearts. The conscience within you. Even though it might condemn you, it may come against you, you may find that when we see this real love worked out in our lives, we can know that we are in the truth. And it brings this assurance of our hearts. But we shall know it. Why? Because first, God already knows everything about you and he loves you. He cares for you. He desires for you. And secondly, God knows all things. He's all present. He's all knowing. He knows who we truly are in Jesus Christ. So even though condemnation may come pouring upon your life and mess with your conscience, mess with your mind, you can still, God knows all things. He knows your heart about these things. He can overcome that. Your conscience is not the Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit can overcome that conscience of yours. Condemnation can build up inside a person and has nothing to do with our standing before God. But you feel condemned. Even though you're a child of God and right with God, you can still feel condemned. It may be the work of the enemy in your souls. He's attacking your souls to try to bring you away, to walk away from God. So he's always condemning, bringing up the past, bringing up where you are today coming and attacking you about what you're not going to do in the future oh you're gonna this is just this is temporary you're gonna walk away from this go back to your life that's your life is on the around the bar with your buddies come on they really they're the ones that really love you not the people at church These condemnations can happen because your soul is being attacked. And even in Revelation 12, 10, it's always accusing the brethren. That's how the enemy works. Or it could be the opposite of that coin. And it could be the work of an overactive conscience. An overactive, sensitive conscience. Um, conscience that is working against you and I'm telling you God knows he's greater than your heart he's greater than your conscience he's the one that's molding and shaping you want to work in your life by the word of God in your life to change you we must trust God's word and his ways and we must stand on that and when you do that regardless how you feel regardless of the condemnation that comes against you you are going to have that assurance that blessing as a child of God so beloved if our heart does not condemn us we have confidence toward God when we're in fellowship with God and our heart does not condemn us and we know that we can have this confidence toward God and our standing with him, we know we're a child of God, we're in in his will and want to walk in his spirit and truth, it is amazing life, a joyful life. If someone is in true fellowship with God and not deceiving oneself, as mentioned in 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, not deceiving yourselves, you're truly a child of God. 
then there's this, this assurance that comes into your heart. There's a solidity, there's a foundational, there's, there's a stability emotionally in your life. Because you're in fellowship with God. Paul spoke of this in Romans 8.16, that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Do you have that assurance? Do you have the Spirit of God inside you this morning, this day, reassuring you you're a child of God? That there is no question. Yes, there's condemnations we've been dealing with. There's an overactive consciousness. You're always sensitive about every little thing and real critical. Yes, God's working in you. Yes, but do you have that assurance that God knows you and you know God? On a personal level. It's a blessing to have that. How precious is the confidence that we can have in Jesus Christ? Not by what you do and not do and your good works and not works. It's not based on works. It's based on a faith, a trust in Jesus Christ and his finished work. Do you have that in your life today? Because if you do, there's this glorious confidence that we can have. Verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. What another blessing that we have here. What is that blessing? Not only do you have assurance of your relationship with God, but you also have the assurance that he's going to answer your prayers. I don't know about you. I want my, answer, my prayers answered. But, but hold on to that. Don't you want your prayers to be in line with his will and his purpose for your life? Yes. That means you're letting him work out and bring to, uh, to memory and to understanding his will for your life, his desires for your life. He puts the desires on your heart and you test all things to make sure they're in line with the word of God. And when that happens, you guaranteed as a child of God, your, your prayers will be answered. John speaks of the will and the experience of answered prayer. The blessing that comes from that. This is not because your love and my love and obedience to God somehow earns our way to get our answers prayed, our prayers answered. No, no, no. That's not how it works. It's our love and our obedience comes from a fellowship of living in the will of God. And when we're living in the will of God, that's when God is answering our prayers. It's the key to answering a prayer. To walk in obedience and truth. Yes, but in obedience and truth because of our love for our Savior. John seems to quote Jesus from John chapter 15, verse 7. If you abide in me and, and in my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. There's a closeness, a relationship with God. And when you're doing that, there is a, this, this, these desires and these things that you will put on your heart will be in line with God's desire and they will be answered. Because we keep his commandments. Keeping commandments is an important to answering prayer. But we should make a distinction between the prayer of a man who is saved, you and I, 
and the prayers that we're asking God about, those are different prayers than a man or a person who's crying out from their heart, seeking for the, the mercy and the grace of God in Jesus because they know they're a sinner and they're not saved. They're a child of the devil. Those are two different prayers. For the sinner who comes to Jesus in prayer seeking mercy, the only requirement is a sincere heart of putting their trust in Jesus. Not obedience. He doesn't ever ask for obedience prior to giving your life to Jesus. He doesn't say, you want a relationship? You want an eternal life? Okay, here it's conditional. Get your life straight and then come back and talk to me. That's not how Jesus works. He's sitting there waiting as he's knocking at the door of your heart and saying, open up your life and ask for the mercy and the grace for me to come into your life and forgive you. Because you recognize you're a sinner and you need to be saved. And when you do that, your life changes. You're born again. Then your prayers after that is all about, God, not my will, but your will be done. I followed my will all my life, and I've almost destroyed my life and everyone around me. Now I want to live for you and for your will. What do you desire? What pleases you to do with my life you've given me? Until you call me home. You die of self, and you live for God. When you grow and mature to that point, you will experience the blessing and the answer to prayer. Not only the assurance, but also answered prayer. You will experience the blessings of a child of God when you are in the will of God. The person who is in fellowship with God will want to do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Did you notice that at the very end of verse 22? That should be your conversation every single day. God, does that please you? I'm thinking about doing this. Does that please you? I would like to go here and have, I'd like to have this little relationship. I really would like this relationship with her. Is that of you, God? I'm about to make some huge decisions in my life about jobs and money and all these things. Does that please you, Lord? You want his direction. You want his wisdom. I don't know about you. Do you like making mistakes? That would be a no. Would you rather do it with wisdom from above? Who sees all things, knows all things, he's all powerful? Wouldn't you want that source of counsel in your life? As a child of God, whose father are you going to go to to ask for, for his, his opinion or insight? We get to go to a heavenly father who sees all things and knows all things. See, once you settle that, there's this answered prayer, this blessing that comes with the fellowship of God's love. It's that assurance and the answering of prayer. But notice the third blessing here in verses 23 and 24 here. And this 
is my commandment. Notice it was singular here. Commandment singular. That we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. He has given us commandment. This is not an option for us as a child of God. You don't, you don't, you don't have an option as a child of God to not believe. Once you believe, you're saved you're not going to lose your salvation. You must continue to believe. Another word is trust in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. And notice that it's the same coin. It's just two different sides. And love another person. Love one another. He's given that commandment. We must do these things. Verse 24. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit, whom he has given us. We're sealed. We're empowered. We're, we're guided by the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, God himself, who lives within a child of God. See, the idea of keeping his commandments in the previous verse led John to speak specifically of what his commandment simply is. We should, we must believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. John does not refer to these two aspects of obedience as two different commandments. He says it's one commandment. It goes together. You can't just sit there. I, I, I trust in the name of Jesus Christ. I want to be saved. And then say, I don't need to love anybody else. It's all about me and Jesus. You don't know Jesus then. Keep going. Keep reading. Keep understanding the characteristic of Jesus, your Savior today. Because it's not about any longer just Jesus. He says, it means when you come to me and trust me and what I, my son has done, you also have made a decision to love one another. But I don't like them. Then you need to repent and change. They're difficult. I know. <laughs> don't you think I know these things? Like how difficult you are. They're difficult just like you are. I mean, I, and I love you. And I've given you the assurance. I'm answering your prayers. How can you not be, if you're abiding in me, you abide in me, but you also love one another. When Jesus spoke these great commandments, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. He added another thing. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We see that in Matthew 22, verses 37 through 39. The two great commandments. All the commandments we see in the Old Testament, everything hangs off those two great commandments. question is, do you believe in the name of, of his son, Jesus Christ, today? John seems to have quoted Jesus again in John 6, 29 here. This is the work of God that you believe in him who he sent. Do you believe in Jesus Christ this day and who the Father has sent? 
to make a way to, for you to be forgiven. Do you believe? Do you trust in Jesus? That's the first great commandment, is it not? That we can believe in who Jesus is. I mean, to believe on the name of Jesus means to put your belief on Jesus in the sense of trusting him. Relying on him for your eternal life. Clinging to him. Isn't it about some intellectual knowledge and understanding? Isn't it about, oh, I read the Bible, I know this, and I know this, and I've read all the Bibles, I've read all kinds of religions. I did a religious study in college, and I know it. That's an intellectual knowledge that is not a saving knowledge. The question God is asking you, do you trust Jesus with your life? That's the question. And you know what's interesting? When people ask you, you trust Jesus? It's not easy to explain that, is it? Yes, I trust Jesus. Well, explain that. How do you trust Jesus? You, 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 you grapple with that. You just know it. Why? Because the Spirit of God lives within it. It's just assurance. It's confirming. It's, it's, it's real to you. You know what you were like. You were dark and you're blind. You were lost. You were in sin. You just you absolutely love sin. And now everything's changed when I put my trust in Jesus. I now know I'm forgiven. My sins are not held against me. He paid the price for my sins. I have eternal life. I'm no longer in darkness. I now see things I never used to see. You, you try to explain it to him. I always ask myself when someone asks me, how do you really, do you really trust Jesus? I always come to a conclusion after that conversation with that person that they don't know Jesus by asking that question. Because if you trust Jesus, I don't have to explain it to you. You know what God has done in your heart. You know you're saved. There's assurance there. I don't have to explain it. You, you can't even explain it to me, but you just know. That's why it's easy to immediately go right into the to share the gospel of the good news with them because I know I'm talking to a non-believer if they ask me that question. We should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ. To put our trust in him. And to love one another. That's the second commandment. It's quoted by Jesus in John 15, 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. He died for you. We must be sacrificial and, and, and possibly die for someone else. And not maybe a physical means, but, all, but in being stretched and, and do things out of the natural realm you would not do, but under the agape love you would be willing to do. Note, God here gives us one commandment that takes in both God and man. Believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. When you do those things, you know you're abiding in Christ. You're abiding in him. That is when you know you're abiding. Because you believe. And you're loving. 
Those who abide in Christ know they're abiding in Jesus because of the presence and the assurance of the Holy Spirit that lives within them. Romans 8.16 is clear. The Spirit himself bears witness of our spirit that we are the children of God. There's not, this is not a question when you're a child of God. It's made very clear. Even Romans 8, 9 tells us that anyone who belongs to Jesus has the Spirit in him, and that indwelling Holy Spirit gives us assurance of that relationship. And you can't be abiding in Jesus and not know this. Yes, attacks will come. Doubts, fiery darts will be thrown. But you're deep within you know with an assurance that you are saved. And the Spirit of God dwells within you. The fact that you're struggling with this tells you that you're saved. The fact that you used to have no problem sinning and now you struggle staying, keeping away from that sin and you're fighting it and fighting it. The fact that you're even doubting in any way of those kinds of things, you know you're a child of God. Because if you weren't, you wouldn't even think about it. You wouldn't even be sitting here listening to it. I'm reminding of a dear brother now. One Sunday, after teaching a very short message, like I normally do, all he heard the entire time was, as, 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 as I heard, all he heard I say the entire time, that he was going to hell, he's going to hell, he's going to hell, he's going to hell. I never said those words the entire time. But the Spirit of God was telling him, you need to change, and he gave his life to change, and man, it's just wonderful to watch a brother, have a brother now in Christ, and watch God do a work in his life. It's nothing greater than that. And I just love spending time with people who are on fire for God, who has the assurance, prayers are being answered, and he knows that he's abiding, and you're abiding in Christ. And let me summarize here real quick. By this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is also the attesting Spirit. We saw that, well, we'll see that in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 next week, Lord willing. Giving witness to those who are truly God's children. You have the Holy Spirit assuring that. When a believer is abiding in Christ, the Spirit guides you and me. It guides and warns us of any false spirits that are playing around the edges, that are kind of circling around you. You'll have these, these false spirits. You can just sense something's not right, not good. And you can know because the Spirit of God inside you is showing these things to you. But he also authenticates the Spirit. We will see that in chapter 5, verses 6 through 8, where it bears witness to the person and the work of Jesus Romans 8, verses 14 through 16 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Romans 8, verses 14 through 16. Each member of the triune Godhead 
is involved in this real love that we're speaking of for a believer. God the Father commands us to love one another. We see that clearly in the scripture today. God the Son gave his life on the cross, the supreme perfect example of how to live out that real love. But then we also see God the Holy Spirit lives within us to provide and to empower this real love to be bound from our, come out of our life, out of our life. And we see so beautifully, go back in Romans 5, 5, it talks about now you have the hope that you never used to have. Do we want to solve the suicidal problem in our society? Do you? Or do you just listen to the statistics and say, oh, must have been drugs, must have been alcohol, must have been a broken life, it must have been this, must have been that. Do you really want to love someone such as someone who has problems with suicidal tendencies? I hope so. When you mature, you grow up, you will. The answer to the suicide problem of our society is sharing the hope of Jesus Christ. My brothers and sisters, there's no other way than to share the gospel. The person becomes born again, and now they have hope. Everything changes. I am absolutely that confident in the word of God. Why? Because the word of God will transform your mind. You have that much assurance. Go share that with someone. Show love to someone who does not have that hope. We get equipped today to go out today and tomorrow and the next days to share the good news with those around you that you have and encourage those in the faith who are weak in the faith and need to be kind of loved and encouraged to get back up. Faith toward God and love toward man sums up the Christian responsibility. Do you have that? We know that Jesus lives in us. Why? Because the fruit of his work in and through our lives is the fruit of the Spirit. That's real love. We see that in Galatians 5.22. And to abide in real love is to abide in God, and to abide in God is to abide in real love. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for your grace and your mercy upon our lives. Thank you for showing your love to us. <laughs> Ah, Lord, I can still remember today when you came and showed love to me by walking up to the door of my heart and knocking on it one more time. Oh, I am so thankful I opened up the door of my life that day. And I pray, Lord, that everyone here today can remember the day of their salvation, the day they opened up their hearts to you. Took that step of faith. It's okay, I'm going to trust you, Jesus. It's okay, I don't know how this is all going to work out. But... And I do pray, Lord, those who are here in person or online, they truly have surrendered their life to you. 
If anyone here today wants to give their life to Jesus, I'm not going to call you out. Just raise your hand so I can pray for you, knowing who God is touching your heart right now. Just raise your hand high enough so I know that God is working in your heart and knocking at the door of your heart, and you're saying, yes, come into my life. Yes, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust the name of the Son of God, you, Lord Jesus. I want to change and be forgiven. Raise your hand so I can pray for you this day. God bless you up front. Anybody else? Raise them up. I know, Lord's touching your heart. Anybody else? Could, the Lord is touching your heart and saying, yes, don't deny me. Open your life to me. I will come in and I will dine with you. Anyone else want to give their life to Jesus today? Angels are rejoicing for the man who gave his life this morning. The Lord touching your heart this morning. Father, we thank you and praise you for touching the heart of this man. And those who may be at home and given and raising their hand are very high in front of that, that screen. And the beautiful thing is, is I, I don't have to see. I just, all that matters is you see the heart of that man or that woman now or that child. I pray, Lord, you will just fill them with your peace, your joy, because you have set them free from bondage of their sin today. We thank you for encouraging us who are your children and have been and walking. May we now be encouraged to go deeper in our love for you, our trust in you, and our love for one another. Do that work in our hearts, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Please.